Oh, you got your stuff. <laughs> wow. That is probably my favorite Christmas song, and they did an amazing job singing that in tune and melody with, with the piano. And wow, that was just fa- fascinating. Uh, before we dismiss the junior church, I do want to put a disclaimer. I've only noticed Pastor Ken put one disclaimer on a message before, and I don't make a practice of this either, but on this particular message, I do want to put a disclaimer as we get ready to dismiss for junior church. We're going to find our text this morning in Revelation chapter 8. We're going to spend some time out there in for the next three chapters, and with this message comes clarity, it comes truth, but it also calls for somberness. And so what we're going to look at today for little kids may be a little much for them. And so I would just put this disclaimer out there for those of us that have been in Scripture and we know the events that are going to unfold during the Great Tribulation period. If we've been teaching our kids and they understand as well, this should not be anything new. But to some of the children that may have never heard some of these things, while it is biblical and it is all found within Scripture and God gave it for us for a particular reason, I would put this disclaimer, if you feel more comfortable to have your children in junior church this morning, uh, then we would be willing to accommodate Taylor and uh, uh, I believe Erica. Uh, they had no idea of this, so I apologize about this. This was sort of a shoot-from-the-hips type deal. So with that being the case, we can release for junior church. Typically, junior church is from third grade on down, but if you have a fourth grader, or I think fourth grade would be okay. If you would like to have them go to junior church, that would be perfectly fine. And as they're dismissing, like I said, our passage is going to be in Revelation chapter 8, but we're not going to start right this moment. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to be honest, this message will probably run a little long. And normally I try to make sure that we're out consistently by 11.15 to hit the buffets and, and whatnot. To be perfectly frank, I don't care about doing that this morning. Because what I have this morning, I really feel like I'm supposed to deliver the entirety of this message in the exact way that the Lord, I believe, has given it to me to write down. So with that being said, I'm going to actually read what I have written, because while I'm not claiming to say that God has divinely inspired these words through my hand on this paper, I do believe the Holy Spirit has motivated me to use certain words, to say certain things, and I want to make sure that I articulate this accurately. You see, as a man called to preach the Word of God, it is not up to me to pick and choose what to preach. Every single time I'm called here to fill this pulpit, whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night, I go through a process First and foremost, I ask God, God, what do you want me to tell your church, your people today? With that, I focus and I meditate. God, what are you burdening my heart for? And this morning is no different. Anybody that is ever called to deliver the word of God must follow this process of seeking the Lord and what he would want us to talk about and to trust and rely on the Holy Spirit to deliver the message. You see... Every single person called to preach is called to preach the entire counsel of the Word of God. This doesn't just include those touchy-feely Joel Osteen passages that many of us like to read, but it also reveals the passages that bring grave concern for what lies ahead. Anytime I preach or teach, I want to have an objective in mind. What do I want the people listening to walk away with? I don't want to hear this morning, good job. 
I don't want to hear this morning, well, I believe Scripture is actually talking about this. Not, I don't want to hear about that. What I would like is a burden to take what we're going to be looking at this morning to people that need to hear it. Now listen. When you die, you die. There's no more life in the body. I just think that's it. You know, I have a very scientific point of view on it. It turns to dust. Uh, they get cremated, they get buried, and they donate their parts to science. We fall asleep forever, but we don't know. It's a mystery, it's a surprise. We were produced by evolution. We don't go to anywhere. I think it's like before we were born, you know? Heaven is for those who uh, repent and uh, feel like they atone for their sins and then they go up to heaven. I believe that we go into like the sky like as clouds or stars. I think if you're a good person um, and you're an honest person, I think that you probably will go to heaven, right? I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying I don't know. And I think the people who talk about it with certainty don't know. I think it's nice to believe in that because it makes you feel hopeful. I believe heaven is a place that we'll be going after, uh, after we die. Um, if you commit to Jesus as your personal savior. I don't believe in hell because it doesn't exist. I don't believe hell is a real place. I believe that, that hell could be here. Uh, I don't want to go there. I think hell definitely does exist. There's hell on earth, there's hell in the afterlife. Because if there has to be a heaven, and we all hope that there is, there has to be an opposite of that. Maybe not like fire and like brimstone like you think, but more of like a state of mind. I think that's a really horrible thought, and nobody on earth would be that horrible, and they shouldn't have to deal with that, you know? I feel like hell's probably more like a timeout from heaven as opposed to somewhere where he sends people to suffer for eternity. Because like you said, I don't know how a, a, a loving God could, could send people there forever. I think it's a, the, the person's decision. Um, I think people send themselves to hell because he gave us free will, so. Depends on who they're sending. I mean, you know, I don't have a problem with Hitler going to hell. I mean, you know, what's the downside of that? Well, uh, if someone has done something really, really bad, like killed someone, so probably he would be sent to hell. It's funny, they say God is almighty and all-powerful, but then they're saying, why would God do this? If he's almighty and all-powerful, why are you questioning him? You know, he does what he does, or she does what she does, or it does what it does, you know. We make the decision, and once we receive Christ into our hearts, then we will go to heaven. Everybody has a second chance every day. Those of us that are in here know our Bible. We know that Satan is a great deceiver. Scripture actually calls him the father of lies. You see, a few days ago, the Lord gave me this burden to share. We've had some wonderful Christmas music this morning, but this is not a Christmas message. Matter of fact, I had a buddy of mine on Facebook when I sort of gave a little teaser trailer, if you will. It was like, really? It's Christmas, you know? I was like, but the Lord's not giving me a Christmas message this morning. You see... This message brings dire consequences if these hallowed words are true. My intention is not to bring fear into anybody's life, but rather to elevate our burden and concern for what will transpire in these days. In a message that I've entitled, Tick Tock, the clock is ticking. You see, we hold this book to be the divine special revelation of God. 
And as such, we hold these words to be God-breathed and factual. All events that were prophesied had already occurred through the course of human history, and those events that are still pending fulfillment, we know will be fulfilled upon the appropriate time of our sovereign Lord. This means all words from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 are without fail the unchanging message of God for the entire world. This includes the portions that give us peace in the midst of trials, as well as portions that bring concern for what is to come. Skeptics have questioned it. Critics have attempted to dismantle it. Agnostics are trying to rationalize it. And the majority of the people, as you just saw in this video, deny it. It matters not what people may think about this book, because make no mistake, what we will consider this morning will come to pass. The word of our Lord truly endures forever. This morning we find our text in Revelation chapter 8. It's about three and a half years into the great tribulation period, or in the tribulation period. The church has already been raptured up, and that's where we're going to find our verse, our passage in Revelation chapter 8, verse number 1. I want to read some verses, speak about it. Read some more, speak about it. Let us read in Revelation chapter 8, verses number 1 through 5. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in the heaven for about space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Here we get a glimpse into heaven during the terrifying time known as the Great Tribulation Period. There are seven angels standing before the Almighty God at His service. And these seven angels receive seven trumpets. We will be there momentarily. An eighth angel approaches the throne of God with a golden censer, fills it with fire, and casts it to the earth. This angel had started a sequence of events that would be called the trumpet judgments, which was preceded with thunder, lightning, and earthquakes that shook the very foundations of the nations. There is no turning back. The script has been written. The stage has been set, and it has now begun. In verse number 6 through verse number 12. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the rivers. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died, because, died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened. And the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound." 
You see, we see these reigning seven angels get ready to sound their trumpets for a judgment that is to ensue. One by one, these mighty angels blow their trumpets, announcing a judgment upon the entire world. Upon the first angels, sounding hail, fire, and blood are cast down from the heavens. Similar to the fire and the brimstone that once fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah, this judgment is now falling upon the earth. And note in verse 7, it says that it was cast upon the earth. This was not some natural weather phenomenon. This cannot be rationalized away as a weather event. This was purposefully cast down and with it destroyed a third part of the trees and all the grass was covered in fire. To me, the reference of hail and fire is fascinating because although the Apostle John probably had no idea what's orbiting in space, to me, he was most likely writing about a comet being thrown to the earth. Whenever you see a comet in the sky, know that the tail that is trailing the comet is actually ice melting as it goes around the sun. So to the Apostle John, this indeed does look like hail and fire, and this destroys much of the landscape. Currently, NASA reports that there are almost 4,000 comets in our solar system at this current moment, with a theory that there may be more than a billion within our own solar system. And with that many in orbit, there is plenty to destroy a third of the earth of trees. Realize the people alive during this time have lost homes, businesses, livestock, material possessions are all on fire. Fields to be harvested and sustenance to receive are all gone. There is chaos, there is confusion on the streets. While people are running frantically to try to find out what happened, every first responder is on the scene to administer first aid and trying to squelch the flames. This is only the beginning. The second angel sounded and noticed that this great mountain didn't fall into the sea, but again was cast into the sea as a deliberate act of judgment upon the world killing a third of the sea creatures and many of the ships that were in its path. It is quite possible that this great mountain burning with fire is a meteor or some other cosmic object that was cast down for the Apostle John said, as it were a great mountain. NEOs, or near-Earth objects, comets and asteroids that are close to the orbit of our planet are not uncommon. Governmental agencies are concerned enough of these objects entering our orbit that there are numerous organizations and universities that are constantly monitoring the skies above for possible collision scenarios from these extraterrestrial rocks. Since 2006, the Astronomical Research Institute in Chile has tracked one comet, four near-Earth objects, and over 800 asteroids since 2006. The NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, or JPL for short, has tracked 1,000 near-Earth objects since 1968. That is more than 18 meteors or asteroids every year on average, which would call cataclysmic events worldwide. And currently, the Sky Live is tracking five near-Earth objects in this very month, December. The next one being closest to us this Thursday at 687,000 kilometers away don't believe me, I want to show you a video that took place less than 10 years ago in a town in Russia. In this video, a meteor entered the Earth's atmosphere and exploded mid-air just before hitting the ground. Notice it's coming in. And just wait. We know these videos are not hoax because these were reported on news cameras 
or the news uh, media outlets, their dash cams of certain vehicles. There have been reports from more than one source, and they've been cleaning up debris from this meteor. If that meteor had not exploded prior to it making impact, I have no idea what would have happened to the landscape and topography in Russia at that time. Realize with this trumpet, the question is not when, if these meteors will impact Earth. The question is when will this one hit? Make no mistake, when this one hits, it will be catastrophes of biblical proportions. Back to the text, this third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, burning as a lamp into the waters. This star is called Wormwood, for because it caused the waters bitter. And because of the poisoning of the drinking water, a lot of people were poisoned to death. There are three views as to who this star is or what this star is. This star could be a reference to a nuclear or hydrogen bomb that is released, which would definitely make the waters poisoned. The Apostle John would have no idea what this bomb would look like, so he's maybe trying to describe something he's never seen. We all know that the global climate today and with the nuclear arsenal, this is quite possible. However, what's interesting is the death toll that follows in this particular passage is not from a direct blast. That would occur from a nuclear bomb. What this is, is this is indirect death from this star. You see, this star could be another meteor, much larger than the previous one, which makes the waters poisoned. This would explain why it appeared as a mountain on fire. However, as opposed to the previous one that was cast down, this particular star, Scripture says, fell. And it is a different word. I personally hold to the fact that this star is a demon that fell, kicked out of the heavens. Since angels are commonly referred to as stars, the fact of this star receiving the personal name of Wormwood it would be the name of a particular demon that fell to earth and in doing so poisoned the water. This would not be uncharacteristic because we see God using demons under his authority in these few chapters. So this is quite plausible. Whatever this great mountain of fire is, the death toll does not occur because of the detonation of the star. The star indirectly kills people through the poisoning of the water source. Realize people are witnessing at this point their loved ones dying. They have no idea why they're dying. There's no explanation. It is not until later they find out that it's the water that is poisoning them to death. Many people are going to the waters to drink it, unsuspecting death is shortly following. You see, then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and the world was enclosed in darkness for a third part of the day. Again, make no mistake, these calamities are not mere weather disasters. These calamities are a deliberate casting of judgment upon the world during this great tribulation period. As I read in verse 13, Scripture says, I beheld an angel in heaven flying in the midst, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, for reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. As terrifying as these first four trumpet judgments are, an angel in heaven announces these four pale in comparison to what is about to unfold. These woes are pronounced unto the people who remain alive at that time. For those, it would have been better had they been dead in these first four trumpet judgments. Revelation chapter 9, verse number 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. 
And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days men shall seek death, shall not find it. And they shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared to battle. And on their heads were as the crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tail. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, who was the name in the Hebrew tongue Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. You see, many people are ignorant of the spiritual realm that is all around us. From the angels that are protecting us and ministering to us, to the angels you speak to unaware, to the evil forces seeking to steal, kill, and destroy There is a battle going on in a realm that most have never seen. And the majority of people disbelieve it. Make no mistake, this unseen realm will become fully seen at this moment in history. This fifth angel probably makes the most terrifying sound of all. For with it comes the unleashing of a hateful, vengeful, powerful demon known as Abaddon or Destroyer. This mighty demon is released from his prison cell where millions of other demons were locked away that fell in Genesis chapter 6. Now they are released under his authority. Because of the power and influence seen in this demon, many believe this is none other than Lucifer himself. But I believe this is Lucifer's general, the second in the command of the demonic army, and he wants revenge. At that moment, these demons, which have spent thousands of years in prison, are now released. They are released to exact retribution upon the world. In their hatred and power, they terrorize mankind for 150 consecutive days. They have tails like scorpions and are able to inflict a sting so powerful, people wish they could die to be free from this torture. No matter how hard people will try, they will not be able to die. They have to live in horrifying fear, waiting for the next demon to strike them for five consecutive months. There are no restful nights. Insomnia is running rampant. People are terrified because they do not know which moment they will be confronted with another vengeful demon. Unable to get away. Anxieties are extremely high. Paranoia is in the streets. There's unspeakable awareness and pain. The only ones who will be able to remain unharmed are the ones whom God has sealed at that time. Everyone else, everyone else is tormented by these demons in Abaddon for 150 consecutive days, no escape, no reprieve, no hope. Verse number 12, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. This is the first of three woes. Just as terrifying as this event is, two more will follow. 
In verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses and the visions and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of horses were as the heads of lions. Out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone of wood, which neither can see, neither hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murderers, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. You see, somewhere near Babylon, which has always been the hot spot for demonic activity, four more demons are released upon the sixth angel's trumpet blast. We know these are four demons because the angel is told to loose these four which are bound in the Euphrates. Similar to Abaddon, these four demons are mighty in power. And since being imprisoned, they are now ready to exact revenge on anybody. While the previous demonic attack was unable to kill anybody, these four demons amass an army possibly the size of 200 million demons, and kill a third of the population at that time. Recall in Revelation chapter 6, verse number 8, that one-fourth of the world had already been killed. And now this one-third that is killed by this demonic army, that means almost half of the global population died by the hands of these demons. Billions of people are lying dead on the ground from this attack. The stench of the deceased would be unbearable for anybody who survived this onslaught. But although they witness these horrifying events, Scripture reveals they still do not repent. They still do not turn from worshiping devils and committing idolatry of God. These remaining people will suffer even more horrifying judgments in the latter portion of this great tribulation period. It has been reported that the practice of witchcraft has grown significantly in the last couple of decades here in America. Those who identify as witches has risen dramatically. Trinity College in Connecticut completed three surveys. And the data revealed Wiccan population grew from 8,000 in 1990 to around 340,000 in the year 2008. This is a rise of those practicing witchcraft of over 4,000% in just 18 years. Carmen LeBurge of the National Association of Evangelicals and President of Reformation Press reports that there may be now more people in America who identify as witches than there are Presbyterians. A startling number of one and a half million practicing witches in this country that we know of. And with hashtag astrology being viewed over 47 billion times on TikTok, the rise of devil worship is at an all-time high in the West. Occultism has become vogue. Ouija boards and Ouija writers and tarot cards and now a complete section of witchcraft paraphernalia in books found 
at your local books a million. There are many people in this country that are practicing witchcraft and worshiping the devil. And we read here in this passage, they will not repent during this time. Not only that, but what's startling is that occultic practices of the new age between mantras and beliefs have infiltrated many churches here in the West. There are many churches and many Christians who are ignorantly promoting occultic practices paving the way for more demonic influence and more demonic attacks. One day, those who reject the Almighty God and worship Satan will be confronted with the horrors that they worship. At that time, it will be too late. It will become a point of no return, for they will reap what they have sown in the occultism and in the practice of witchcraft. Revelation chapter 10. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, and feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered the voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea, upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven, and the things that are therein are, and the earth, and the things that are in there are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that should there be no time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go, and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Prior to the seventh angel sounding his trumpet, the apostle John is told to eat a scroll. He says its taste is like sweet as honey as it's swallowed. But once it's digested, it becomes bitter in his stomach. John realizes that those who escape, escape in the judgments that fall, are upon a wicked world that, God reject, that rejects God. This brings sweetness, but it doesn't take long before he realizes the bitter aftertaste it leaves, realizing the terrifying judgments that befall upon the people, those that do not have eternal life. While you and I sit here and consider these passages, and while you and I are ready for the wickedness to receive a just recompense, you and I must ask ourselves, who do we know that will be left behind? It is that thought that turns our stomach bitter. We know all Christians will be raptured prior to the tribulation period. That is the sweetness of the scroll in our mouth. But get this, you don't know when the rapture will occur. The rapture could take place next week. And if it does, these terrible events we just read could be happening five years from now. Once that rapture happens, you will never have another opportunity to tell a friend or a loved one how to escape these horrific judgments. 
if you and I believe these divinely inspired words of the Lord are factual, then we know these judgments will take place. Sometime, the fire, the hail, the meteors, the comets being cast to earth, people dying from poisoned waters, walking to their death, terrifying demonic attacks that not even death itself can escape, a large-scale demonic warfare that kills 30, 33% of the population, these things will happen when the alarm clock goes off. You see, the thing about alarm clocks is that they're useful tools to wake the body up from sleep. You set the alarm at the time you want to get up. You already know what will happen and when. And even though you are sleeping, the alarm startles your body, making your body respond to the sound of the noise, waking you up from sleep. The sovereign God has already set the alarm clock for these events. You and I have no idea when that alarm will sound. And when that alarm goes off, our time is up. We don't have a chance for tomorrow. That day has already been set. When God's alarm clock goes off, all we can do as Christians is watch. Watch those left behind live through these horrific judgments. Again, if you don't know when the rapture is going to happen, these events can happen five years from now. Who do you know now that could be here then that doesn't know Christ? If we know this and we trust his word, what are you going to do with the time you think you have left? Will you spend it on yourselves in self-interest? Is there any inkling in our body to spend at least a moment to tell someone you know how they can escape these horrible events that will occur? Tick-tock. What are you going to do? Jesus Christ is the only hope for anybody to escape these events. Let us who are of the day not sleep nor slumber. Let us be willing to hold fast in the midst of growing immorality and occultism. And also let the burden to tell people how to escape these judgments grow within us because you don't know when this alarm will go off. Now what I want to do with this is I want to spend a moment in silent prayer and reflection in place of our normal invitation, I would like for all of us to sit here to speak with God. I want you to ask God three things. First, I want you to ask God for a name. God, who, in my realm of influence, can I tell? Now I want you to ask God, God, Give me a burden to even care about this and to tell that person. And then three, God, give me the courage. Give me the courage and the boldness to speak this truth in love and with grace so that our message is received and not rejected. So what I want to do is I just want to spend a quick moment for all of us to pray. Then I want to close with a word of prayer, and then we'll be done.
God, I thank you for this message that you burdened my heart with. God, I ask you, forgive me for the times that I know I can and should speak up and, and I don't. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. God, give me the boldness and the courage just to be able to speak your truth in a loving way and in a graceful way. God, give me wisdom and open eyes so that I can see the opportunities that you put in front of me to be able to tell these people how they can escape this terrible judgment. But not only that, God, allow me the boldness to be able to tell these people how much you love them and how you sent your son to die on the cross for their sins. And by simple trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross, they can not only escape these judgments, but they can have eternal life with you. So Lord, for everybody in here this morning, I pray that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to give us a name of somebody we can talk to, someone we can affect. God, I pray that you would just give us all the wisdom to see the opportunities in front of us. God, I pray that you would just give us the burden to even care, to get out of our own world, and to look at people as souls rather than just people. Knowing that everybody that doesn't know you could possibly be living through these days just mere years from today. God, I know a lot of times it is very difficult, it's very stressful to just speak to others about you. So God, as the apostles did in the early parts of the book of Acts, after they were arrested, they went back and they prayed for continued boldness through the Holy Spirit to continue to preach and teach. God, I pray that the Spirit would just give us boldness to reach the person that you've put on our hearts this morning. God, I thank you that you promised the escape for your church prior to all these events unfolding. But God, let us not just live in the sweetness of that honey, but allow the bitterness of the digestion of the truth of this word motivate us to tell somebody. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And I thank you for being with us on the live stream. And uh, God bless. So I don't know why the Lord is...